This is the WFG National Title Insider Report, your download on the market, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending to keep you informed and ahead of the market. In this episode, WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone joins us to offer a recap on 2020, an economic forecast, and preview the year ahead in real estate. Well, Pat, thanks for joining us. You know, it's human nature to flip the calendar on a new year with the anticipation of change or a fresh start. Uh, That said, how long will the 2020 hangover carry over into 2021? And will the year ahead really be that different? Brian, I think really there's a couple questions in that question. First of all, from a large, uh, high-level economic point of view, 2021 will be different in the sense that the if the vaccine is dispersed and administered efficiently, uh, you will see a better second half of the year and you will start to see some recovery in leisure, travel, uh, entertainment sectors. The underlying disjointed impact of the virus and the pandemic shutdown, the income inequality where you have one segment of the society roughly about 30% being left out and the other 70% continuing to function economically at the same level, uh, that disparity will continue for a few years and it's going to become a problem for us if we don't do something about it. This pandemic has really impacted hourly, low-income hourly workers and it will take a long time for them to recover. Uh, You will see foreclosures, you will see uh, other impacts from the pandemic and it will impact that group of people. So um, I do think 2021 will be better. There's some optimism building. There's some problems, I think, with, the, uh, with our ability to distribute and administer the vaccine, but I think we'll get over that. And I think the second half of 2021 will be much better, but it'll probably take until Q3 of 2022 before the economy is actually back to where it was when this started. Okay, we'll talk real estate, too, in just a bit. Uh, first, though, generally speaking, how good or bad of shape is the economy in at this point after what we went through in 2020? Well, you know, 70% of the economy has had very little impact, to be honest with you. I mean, it's really, it's really uh, been a very bipolar type uh, uh, impact from this, from this pandemic. And uh, it's, a, it's very unfortunate uh, but I don't think a lot of people or a lot of people that I know haven't had, had virtually no impact other than being frustrated about staying at home. Yeah. Well, as we release this podcast here on Tuesday, January 5th, uh, there's a runoff election underway in Georgia. Now, Wall Street likes gridlock. They would love to see the Republicans pull this out. But if the Democrats prevail, they are in control and they have lots of control. Is that a concern when you look at the stock market, taxes, things like that? Very little. Very little. The the reality is you're going to have a Senate that's 50-50. You may have, if everybody votes by party lines, then you have a vice president that can break the tie in favor of the Democrats. But I can assure you of this, uh, even if the Democrats win both uh, Senate seats in Georgia, it will not cause a tremendous uh, policy change in terms of taxation, capital gains, and those sort of things because it'll be impossible to get any sweeping, significant socialistic type legislation through a Senate that's 50-50, because there will be senators, and this will go both ways, but on different issues, senators will vote 
outside of the party lines. They very rarely, and except on certain issues, very rarely does the Senate or the House vote exactly along party lines. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to talk to you about inflation or maybe lack thereof. Is this a concern or an issue in the next few years, or are you more concerned that the U.S. will fall into a lost decade or a lost 30 years uh, similar to Japan? I don't think those are the only two options. And I'm not worried about inflation. And I'm not worried about a lost decade or a lost 30 years. Not worried about inflation because, uh, first, first of all, the Fed is not going to uh, the Fed is going to keep rates low all the way through 2022 at a minimum. Uh, they do that by buying assets, and they will taper off on their buying assets and probably in 2022 buying of bonds and buying of uh, mortgage-backed securities and so forth and treasury bonds. Um, They'll start backing off that in 2022, and that will be, in effect, a way of tightening the rates a little bit, but not much. Um, I was probably worried about inflation because of the tariffs, but it turns out, and I was kind of surprised by this, but it turns out that our trade deficit with China has dropped significantly because of the tariffs, but the trade deficit with other foreign countries has gone up equally. So basically, we still have about the same amount of trade deficit, maybe even a little bit more. So we're taking advantage of uh, keeping the price of goods down by importing things made in other countries. So I don't see a lot of upward pressure on interest rates because we have inflation by goods. Service price inflation, that means where you have inflationary pressure because of increased wages. It's going to take a couple of years before we use up or get people back and working at higher and higher hourly wages. We have a lot of unemployed people right now. We have a lot of room for growth before we'll have impact. So I am not worried about inflation or higher interest rates anytime in the near future. Now, all of these questions set us up for discussion on the housing market here. Before we go there, what do you believe is the biggest threat to the U.S. economy in the year ahead? What's in the blind spot? Well, that's a really good question. You know, we uh, we have a little bit of concern about international trade, uh, but not much. I think we may have a little bit of concern about uh, getting getting uh, the uh, leisure activities, the travel, the entertainment back on board. But I think that will happen with the vaccine. I think probably the biggest threat to the economy right now is uh, what I perceive to be political dysfunction, if you will, in the sense that we have a lot of underlying anxiety in this country over the challenging of the, the democratic process. Now, I don't want to take a side on that, but I will tell you that that is being watched by a lot of people, a lot of people internationally. That may forestall investment or purchases, purchasing of U.S. assets or homes uh, by foreigners. Uh, so I worry a little bit about that, uh, dis, uh, creating some dysfunction and, and maybe lessening our preeminence internationally on the economic scene. So other than that, I'm not too worried. Okay, let's talk real estate. And I want to start with commercial this time. We have a mutual, well-connected friend who told me that when things do reopen, we anticipate March, April, May, this spring sometime, moratoriums are lifted. It'll be, and here's the quote, like pulling off the bandage and finding a tumor. Uh, doesn't sound good. We've had a, uh, the, the, this pandemic hit the commercial market significantly, but, in, uh, but not uniformly across different asset classes. 
It basically was one of the final nails in the coffin for malls uh, and to a degree for strip centers. Student housing got hit, but that'll come back when colleges reopen. Um, you've seen some dislocation and uh, multifamily, but that's more uh, based on locality than uh, we still need apartments and we still need places for people to live. People talk a lot about offices and there's a lot of speculation about offices becoming absolutely worthless because people will work from home. Well, working from home is about 8% of the workforce prior to the pandemic. The best guesses I've seen is 12 to 15% after the pandemic. But what will happen is people have some flexibility. They'll be able to work from home on Friday or Monday or if the kid's sick, things like that. So technology will allow us to be more flexible and more people work. I don't think offices will go away, but I do think you will have some dislocation in the office market. Malls are malls are in a lot of trouble. So offices, malls, uh, strip centers to a degree, uh, those areas are going to get hurt, hit pretty hard. Lodging got hit pretty hard, but I think that will come back, but it'll take a little bit longer until we really get a, a major amount of travel going. So commercial will be hit, but I think it's more about product and it's more about place than it is just a uniform you know, the whole, the, that whole segment is going under. That's not the case at all. The reality is that very, very few jobs in America are not dependent on some OJT, on-the-job training. You cannot do on-job training very effectively working from home. So I think you will see working from home increase, but it won't become uh, predominant. Yeah, I agree. Microsoft in my backyard here in the middle of a major expansion. They have not put the brakes on that at yeah. all. So that should tell you something. Now, I'm not the expert here, but just casual observation, Pat, you know, it seems the commercial real estate market is much quicker these days to turn around or reinvent dead assets than in the past. Is that true? Well, here's what's going on there. You know, we have increased the amount of investable capital in this country Infinitely, we've increased it tremendously in the last 30 or 40 years. And one thing about this pandemic induced economic recession is it hasn't reduced the amount of capital out there. So you will see capital deployed where people perceive there to be an opportunity. And there is more than enough capital to rapidly be deployed uh, to resuscitate or make significant changes in certain sectors of the economy. So uh, plenty of capital and, uh, you know, you will see it, you will see it applied where there's opportunity. That's good to hear. Now, with COVID, we saw what we've been calling the great migration out of high-density urban areas, a lot of unrest on the West Coast, high-tax states like California. You know, there's two levels to this. There's the regional, I would call it a tethered move where, you know, it's a, a, a long drive maybe or even a short flight to the home office. And then there's the out-of-region moves where you see people literally uprooting from New York to Florida, California to Texas. So first question for you, how permanent are these moves to tertiary markets? Or in some cases, we have people moving to vacation destinations like Sun Valley and, and Coeur d'Alene. Um, how permanent is that? I mean, if you're a tech executive and your office is in the Bay Area or Seattle, as you just spoke about with you know the office and a little more flexibility, are we going to see a migration back to urban centers? Well, there's a couple things going on here, Brian, and I think it's not just pandemic related. First of all, some of the migration occurred because you have four states that do not charge income tax. 
you know, basically Nevada, Tennessee, Florida, and Texas do not charge income tax. So you have had migration to those states over a period of time. Secondly, there was a migration to secondary markets that was occurring even prior to the pandemic. There were people moving to places like Boise, uh, Sacramento, uh, maybe less like Tucson, but basically cities that were where you had all the benefits of a metropolitan area, but not the not the the problems of a major metropolitan area where you have traffic and you have a lot of unemployment, you have gangs or you have whatever. So there was a certain amount of that movement occurring uh, uh, anyway. Now the pandemic came along and people became really conscious of where they live. So people, people that can move safely to a, a more suburban environment or a smaller town and maintain their job will do so. And I think that trend will continue, whether it'll be a major trend or not after the pandemic, I don't know. Um, I, the thing about secondary markets or vacation markets, that's a functional wealth. We have a lot of very wealthy people in this country, and they are buying homes in secondary markets, and they're having two homes, and they spend part of the time one place and part of the time the other. If you're a, a fairly successful executive with enough capital, um, you probably can run your company by even spending quite a bit of time in a, in a vacation-type home somewhere else because technology allows you to be on the spot in a lot of cases. Now, those moves out of region are certainly more permanent. You know, you go from California to Texas, and Texas has gotten a lot of love lately. we got a lot of people listening in Texas, rightfully so. United Van Lines came out with their uh, their moving study here recently. It was very interesting. It showed Idaho as number one in America for inbound moves. When you look into these numbers, they're not moving to the Boise area or Idaho for jobs. Just one in five people, a whopping 73.5% of the inbound moves to Idaho were 55 and over. And the 65 and over numbers were even like 43% of that number. So maybe talk about this migration from a you know retirement standpoint into you know Idaho, Texas, Florida, Arizona. What does it do uh, from a real estate perspective in those markets? Well, I think it's good for those markets. It's good for real estate in those markets, and it's pretty natural. You know, I mean, for a long time. Uh, we had a situation where if you retired, you moved to the Sun Belt or you moved to Arizona or whatever. And I think the technology, the availability of e- uh, easy transportation, uh, so forth and so on, and the fact that some of these cities or some places now can provide you with, uh, with a lot of benefits, even though they're a smaller metropolitan area, You've had people sort of gravitating towards places like Idaho. And the the number on Idaho doesn't surprise me at all. Clean air, uh, privacy, good quality of life. You know, I think you will see that occur. I mean, you know, you can't. Moving to Arizona, Florida was sort of the uh, default for a long time. But both those places have become expensive. Both those places, the metropolitan areas have become crowded. Uh, So I think you're seeing people be a little bit more selective and be uh, have other alternatives in mind and uh, i think that'll continue yeah good insight uh low interest rates let's talk about that uh it really fueled this boom the last year and you know in spite of covid right we all adjusted to that and had record years and for most people around the country in real estate will those low rates continue through 2021 oh i i, I absolutely Absolutely. We'll see low rates. Uh, we'll probably see low rates for a couple more years. And, but, you know, okay, got to remember, I've been around a long time. So low rates for me, low rates for me is anything under about 6%. But I, I think you'll see rates 
you may get mortgage rates back up to 3% late this year, and you may get to 4% next year, but that's still, that's still not an impediment to buying, right? So I would consider those rates low, and that'll, that'll last for three or four more years at least, maybe longer. Okay, good to hear. Inventory is the other issue, and the market's been so hot. I mean, how many people do you talk to say if we just had more homes to sell? Uh, imagine what the numbers would look like. Um, you've been talking about inventory. We go back ten years with these conversations, and I remember in the midst of the Great Recession, you were warning about an, an issue with inventory. It came to fruition, and and here we are. We still haven't caught up. When are we ever going to catch up on this, or are we? Well, I you know I. Yes, we will. The question of when is hard to really pinpoint. Uh, and it's going to be a little bit of a function of the fact that we have a declining growth in population. Estimates of population in this country have been marked down significantly over the last 10 years, and we have a lower birth rate. And so uh, we have a big population bubble right now between uh, 35 and 50. Uh, so you have a lot of people looking for homes. Uh, Ten years from now, that'll be less. Twenty years from now, we won't have an inventory problem. Now, having said that, uh, inventory problem is is also tied to price. So, in other words, uh, you have when when prices are low, you never have enough inventory because everybody wants to take advantage of it. As the price goes up, you reach a balance with it for demand and inventory based on price and affordability. We're getting close to that right now. Uh, So I do think you're going to see home builders build a lot of homes the next couple of years, and that will slow down price appreciation. And uh, there will be some sort of supply-demand balance there, even though the demand uh, and and the desirability of owning a home has gone up and will stay up for a long time. So I think it's going to be 20 years before you you really quit talking about inventory. That is incredible. Well, um, we have a lot of real estate professionals, obviously, who listen to this podcast, title agents all over the country. Generally speaking, I the broad question here, what advice do you have for them as we head into 2021 here? Well, I'm going to tell people what I tell people that I work with, and that is focus on what you can control and make sure you're managing what you can control. I see people constantly spending a lot of time, including you and me, talking about things we can't control, right? The reality is the more time that you spend on things that you can make work better, more efficiently uh, for you and your clients, the more successful you will be. The more time you spend talking and worrying about things you can't control, you're just that's time wasted. So I think uh, get really, really focused on your processes. Take a real hard look at your processes. Are they as efficient as possible? Can you can you outsource things that don't have brand equity? I tell this to people all the time. Why are you spending money and having fixed costs on things that clients don't care about, your customers don't care about, you don't have any brand equity on those things. So try to remove those things from being a fixed cost to being a variable cost where you only pay for them when you need them. Really sit down and look at your operation from top to bottom, everything you do, focus on making those processes better and more efficient and you'll be successful because a lot of your competitors will be worrying about things they can't control. Good advice. Did we miss anything here? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I think the only comment I would make is that, you know, I, I think in my, in my lifetime, uh, this has probably been the most uncertain period of time from a, a business, economic, and personal point of view. And it's, it's been just really wonderful to see how 
this industry, the real estate industry, from sales through closing, through lending, and how well it's done in, in providing access to buying and selling homes and refinancing homes and how well everybody has done to help uh, the average American realize their dream or take care of their business. It's just been wonderful to be associated with this industry. And I thank everybody out there for all you do, because every single person in this industry has made everybody else look very, very good. Thanks to WFG founder and executive chairman, Patrick Stone, for joining us on the Insider Report. And thank you for partnering with WFG. To learn more about our unique process, systems, and technology, visit WFGAgent.com. And to gain access to cost-effective solutions for your agency, visit WFGBlocks.com. 